Hello, Miss Kapow. Hello, Brother Kapow. How are you? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You Today's blessed date you? is, yep, January 28th, 2019. Outstanding. Today on the Kapow Radio Show, I am going to play a sermon. That's right. Call me crazy. If you listen to last Friday, Freedom Friday, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, I'll try to uh, catch you up. But there is a pastor in northern Cucufornia, Eureka, Cucufornia. His name is Justin Hoke, J-U-S-T-I-N-H-O-K-E. And Justin Hoke was a pastor of the Presbyterian Church there in Cuckoo, California. And um, it sounds to me like Pastor Hoke had some paradigm shift. He had some awakening Mm -hmm. um, in his spirit. And he began to see things through the truth lens of the word of God. Man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so he was uh, he was excited. And in front of his church, there's a marquee sign, you know, those church signs. And he had, he had put up there, Bruce Jenner is still a man. Homosexuality is still sin. The culture may change. The Bible does not. Amen? Amen. And... Um, so he's a senior pastor. There's another elder there, and of course the congregation and stuff, Presbyterian Church. And so he he preached a sermon on a Sunday. And in this sermon, he really spoke the word of God in truth. And I'm telling you, you know, Miss Kapow and I listened to this sermon. And uh, it was a wealth. It was a wow factor. We just mm-hmm. said, "Man, this is amazing." And last Friday, I talked about this, but he had preached this sermon, and um, <laughs> you could tell when you listen to the sermon, you're going to hear it that you know he had no idea what was coming. He had he had no idea. He's just preaching truth. Mm-hmm. But after he got done preaching the sermon, his congregation, right. Mm-hmm. People that belong to the church took offense. Yeah. He didn't know that they were gnashing teeth at him. He had no idea. He had no idea that they were the enemy. The swine. Yeah, the, exactly the swine. Exactly. And so they they take offense. And the senior or the other elder told him, pastor, I can't a good conscience, you know, share the pulpit with you. Uh, the whole congregation outside of one couple is going to leave. They're going to quit the church if you stay on. Yeah. Can't have that, now can we? Yeah. So for the betterment of the church, the betterment of his family and everybody involved, he resigned. He didn't want to resign. He didn't, he didn't. He didn't quit. He made that decision to leave for his own family's sake and for the the congregation doesn't want him. Yeah. That's so sad. And even the the, the couple that, that stayed, base, basically what they said, the couple, the one couple out of the whole congregation, the one couple, and that elder said, well, if you, if, if you leave, then the other people will come back. Mm-hmm. So his congregation, his own church, decided that it was better to go the way of Baphomet, to go the way of cult of Baal, the way of loser Lucy in the sky with trannies, than it was to go with the truth of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's right. So there was an article written about it, and um, you know the word got out. So he, he left the church. Justin Hoke left left the church. Um, and there's the, uh, if you go to our, our Facebook page, Fifth Hook Media Facebook page, I put a link up there to his Facebook page if you want to go give him some love and support, uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. If um, 
if if you're not going to love on him and support him, please don't say yeah. anything stupid. Okay, don't be dumb. Um, but you know, if if you're going to love on him and support him, you know, spiritually in prayer, then by all means do so. But don't bag on him because mm-hmm. um, he did the right thing. And my opinion, my humble opinion, and Miss Kapow, we think. God moved him out of that denomination. Oh, yeah. We think we yeah. think that that the Holy Spirit led him to all truth, stirred him up. He had no idea he was going to get gnashed on with their teeth. He had no idea he was going to be attacked by his own brethren. And we think God took him to a place where he had to leave that phony religious system. Mm-hmm. And then rely totally on God because God has another work for him to do. And I know that, that being a man of God, that God will sustain him financially, oh, spiritually, emotionally, everything. God will sustain him. Mm-hmm. And in reading his Facebook page and stuff, it seems like he, he is okay. Uh, people wanted to give him money. They wanted to give him financial support. And the man said, thanks, but, but no thanks. God mm-hmm. is, Everything's fine. God's going to take care of me. And he says, I don't want to use this 15 minutes of fame for my own benefit. I just want to do what God wants me to do. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a humble heart, see? That's a contrite spirit. Mm-hmm. God's, God's got to honor that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So uh, I, I, talked, I talked about the story on Freedom Friday because it was so appalling. You talk about the apostate church. Mm. The whole congregation just totally apostate. They just... Oh my gosh, they would rather not offend the transvestites, the homosexuals, and the sinners, and the Baphomet worshipers than to hear the word of God from their old pastor. These are the ones that want their ears tickled. These are the ones that do not love truth. And so you know that the delusion has come upon them where they will believe a lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And after he had... uh, preached that sermon and that sign was in front of the church. The activists, the LBGT activists came and destroyed while he was still pastor of the church at the time came and destroyed that sign. They, uh, they, they broke the electrical box on it. He has pictures on his Facebook page of the damage they did. And they got into the, uh, the glass part of it and they removed uh, all the lettering, scrambled it up and stuff. And at the end, the only thing that remained was the culture may change, the Bible does not, which is true. But in context of what he, he originally said, Bruce Jenner is still a man, homosexually still a sin. The culture may change, the Bible does not. It loses its impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the LGBT weirdos in that community um, silenced Christianity that day. They silenced the Christians because the Christians, quote unquote, <laughs> mm went the way of Baal. Yep. They went the way of Moloch. They sacrificed themselves and their children to Moloch. And God is not pleased Mm-mm. at all with the apostate church. And judgment is coming. Judgment's coming on these folks and all folks who are haters of the truth. Yep. Amen, Ms. Capel? Amen. In fact, at the end of the message, I'm going to play Judgment Day. That's very appropriate. Mm-hmm. By Mesquite Cafe, and it is available at all online digital retailers. If you want to hear the song in its entirety, go to our uh, fifthhookmedia.com website. Fifthhookmedia.com website. I have a tab there, Mesquite Cafe, and it has every single video. Every song is on video on YouTube, and you can hear it in its entirety for free. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you want to buy it, it's 99 cents. If you can't afford 99 cents, get a hold of me, and I'll send it to you in MP3. All right. So, you have anything to add, Ms. Kapow, to this? No. Okay. The name of the sermon is Love Warns. Um, you remember, is it Francis Chan? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the apostate Francis Chan and his uh, apostate followers mm-hmm. wrote a book called Love Wins. Mm-hmm. All about love. It's all about love, right? What do you say, Ms. Kapow? God is love. But love isn't God. That's right. Love is not God. 
but they have made love God. They have they have made love an idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yep, they worship. They're in love with the idea of love, and so love tolerates everything. Mm-hmm. But Pastor Hoke's sermon is about love warns. It doesn't mm-hmm. love doesn't win. Love warns, and if you if you love somebody. If you love people who are lost, you warn them of the coming judgment. You warn them of sin. You warn them of their lifestyle and what it's going to come to. If you don't love them, you just remain silent and worse yet, agree with them and tolerate them because they're going to die and go to hell and you don't care because you love yourself. See, you're, you're more interested in being comfortable in life than uncomfortable in your, in your biblical walk. That's right. So the name of the sermon is Love Love Warns. And I had encouraged our listeners last Friday to find Pastor Justin Hoke on Facebook or whatever and send him some love and some support. And our good friends from the Seed War Radio, that's Matthew and Shy Jacks, reached out and contacted him. Mm-hmm. And I and I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so some, someone was listening. They reached out and contacted him and they had a had an exchange with him, gave him love, gave him encouragement. And Matthew was able to send me the link to the sermon. Yeah, so he found it for me, sent me the link. Thank you, Matt. Yep. I listened to it, was blown away. Yep. I said, Miss Capel, you got to listen to this. She heard it blown away we talked about it for a long time and uh it really stirred our hearts and we're hoping he'll do the same for you when you listen to his sermon especially in hindsight of what happened Mm -hmm. because you listen to this man talk and you can tell he absolutely had no idea at all Uh -uh. that they were gonna the whole sermon was unfolded in front of him (laughs) it was it was like he was in his own movie Mm -hmm. and didn't even know it so he's preaching a sermon to people and then it unfolded, right? and it, it actually happened to him. Yeah, the apostates attacked him and said, either you quit or your whole congregation is leaving except for one couple. Yeah, talk about apostate. You read about it, but here it is. Northern California, Cuckoo, mm. California. Amazing it's really stuff. really sad. It is if sad. If anything, you, ha- you need to pray... Um, for him and his family, his wife, and because you know the 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 attacks just haven't stopped. Oh no! You know, at the church, that wasn't the only time he got attacked. It's it's still forthcoming. And for sure, you know, and I was looking at it's this, just how the devil is. It is. It it you know that you know just constantly berating him and constantly you know did you do the right thing you know mm-hmm. you didn't do the right thing maybe you don't have love maybe you're you know. Mm-hmm. You threw away your whole job, your career, your family, you know, because, you know, because you're a homophobe, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's how Satan does. He's an accuser. Accuser. You know, know, on this Facebook page, you can see some of the comments. There are some stupid people that comment stupid things, you know, and he tries to address them. But there are people like, well, you should have just stuck to scripture. You shouldn't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're lost. They're apostate. And they don't have a prophetic ministry or know that they know God. They don't know God because God's truth is God's truth. The culture mm-hmm. says, yeah, it's okay for a man to be with another man or dress like a woman, about, but it's not okay. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the other day I put something up on Facebook about a tranny who, uh, who didn't, who had a bad Tinder date, went into a, a it's a dude dressed mm-hmm. like a woman is what it is. It's a tranny. It's a man that thinks it's a woman. Had a bad Tinder date, went into a gas station and took it out on an innocent person. The uh, the clerk there took an axe and split his skull, split his skull in half. And I put this on Facebook, and I and I and I forget my exact words, but I said, you know, here's here's a demonized tranny who, uh, you know, he's so deceived, he believes he's a female, splits this guy's head in two, you know, and only gets four years. You know, blah, blah, blah. I put something like that. Facebook uh, then flagged me, sent me a message and said it was hate speech. 
<laughs> and sent me a copy of their community guidelines and said that um, no one would be able to see my post, that they took it down, no one would be able to see it. And I had a choice, either agree with them or appeal it, right? Mm-hmm. I know how that goes. So they took it down. So I reposted it, but took my language out of the the post. Mm. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I say a lot of stuff about a lot of people and a lot of stuff about stupid people and crooks. But because it was a tranny, it yeah. got flagged. Mm-hmm. Was that a robot that flagged me? I doubt it. Somebody snitched on me. Somebody's listening. Somebody, somebody snitched. Right? Wow. Mm. Some, somebody who's whiskey bit and hell bound. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's all over, folks. You're the lover of truth or a lover of lies. But uh, yeah, it's a very scary thing. It really bothers me, though, that what happened, that the whole entire congregation, except for one couple. Yeah, that that is very bothersome. Mm-hmm. That's a like these I said, are people that think of themselves as Christians. They think they think they're Christians. That's the scary folks. And they're just apostate, and they're going. They're whiskey bitten, hell bound, man. Absolutely. All right, Ms. Capelli, got anything to add to that? No. All right, so here's a sermon, Love Warms by Justin Hoke. And after that, I'm going to play Judgment Day because, well, it fits perfectly. It do. All right, and we'll talk to you Friday. Good night. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I come before you weak. And I pray, Father, that you would show yourself mighty in my weakness. That you would grant me to preach with power and unction that you would grant these words that are preached, if they are faithfully, faithful to your word, that they would be used to greater conform us into the image of Christ. Lord, I lift up to you our community, and I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon our community, that you would grant to us to see revival in our day, that you would grant us to see men and women coming to the truth, fleeing, fleeing from the wrath to come. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Our passage this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 33. I'll be giving an exposition primarily of the first six verses, but we'll be reading the first nine. So again, let us give our reverent attention to the reading and hearing of God's most holy word. Ezekiel, chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I shall require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth. And warn them for me. When I say to you, or to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. The title of this morning's message is Love Warns. Love Warns. It has been a little bit more than three years now since the Supreme Court 
issued its ruling effectively changing the definition of marriage in our nation. And the popular slogan that almost immediately began to pop up everywhere were the two words, love wins. Love wins. The idea being that the power behind the court's ruling was love. Love has won out over bigotry. Love has won out over the morality of some outdated book. Love has won out over God and religion. But I would suggest to you, beloved, that it is not love which is one. What has persisted in culture to the point that, has, that it is now demanding the redefinition of marriage is nothing more than, than childish and simplistic sensuality. What the world calls love is not love at all. Rather, it is extreme Mutually agreed upon selfishness, which knows nothing of sacrifice, nothing of servanthood, nothing at all of seeking another's highest good. Maybe one of the best reflections of this selfish love of our society are the, are, is the trend in modern day wedding vows. It has become popular in recent times for couples to write their own vows. And, and really they're not vows at all, but merely a list of things which, which we find really attractive about the other person. Oh, I love how you make me feel. Oh, I love how you make me smile. I love how you add adventure to my life. Instead of promising faithful, loving support for as long as they both shall live, they explain all the benefits that they've gotten out of the relationship. It's all about me and what I get from you. And it's almost as if there's a veiled threat. If you stop providing me these things, if you stop providing me these things that, that, that make you so, so, so desirable to me, well, then you've broken the contract. And we're done. Why do you think divorce is at such a high rate in our nation? As a joke, in the 80s, Carol Burnett changed the traditional wedding vows in her TV show, Mama's Family, from as long as we both shall live to as long as we both think it's a good idea. Today, many have become so crass that they've changed those vows to as long as we're still in love. Love in our culture has no clue what love is. Love in our culture means leave me alone so that I can sin in peace. It means stir me up to romantic feelings so that I can enjoy the bliss of, of romantic emotion as a drug. And sadly, it's not just the secular culture. If you've listened to Christian radio at all in the last, in the last several decades, you've likely heard the constant stream of popular songs saying that you can't love others unless you love yourself first. Love has been reduced to me selfishly enjoying what I want, when I want, and as much as I want. And if you don't agree with me, it's because you're unloving. Unless you're an evangelical, then it's because you're not Christ-like. Our passage this morning is about real love. How it should look. How it will be received. How God will treat those who claim to be loving yet are not. So with that said, let us look again at our text. Verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of that land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. And I want you to notice those first words of the text which say, The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. I hope you, I hope you grasp how important that statement is. 
Today, as the wicked puff out their their, their chests, rejecting our, our warnings, they're emboldened by popular unbelief that rejects the Bible as God's word. Most of which is sadly coming from liberal churches and seminaries. And worse, many of these apostates now want to call themselves conservative evangelicals. Tony Campolo is just one of these apostates. Claiming to be an evangelical, he teaches that only the red letters of the Bible are the word of God. Rejecting the rest of the Bible, he attempts to twist the words of Jesus into teaching that God approves of and blesses all manner of sin and wickedness. The famous evangelical singer Don Francisco, who wrote one of my favorite songs in the 70s, he too is an apostate. He said in a recent interview, My problems begin with those who try to make this book, referring to the Bible, into a God. There's only one foundation, Jesus Christ. And anyone who attempts to build on another will be using an unstable and deadly cornerstone. I understand those of you who have drunk the Kool-Aid, those of you who believe in the inerrancy and infallibility thing, because I, because you've been taught to believe it, I used to be one of you. But it is time to rise from the dead and to believe the gospel. For those of you who intentionally use this doctrine, the doctrine of biblical inerrancy to control others, may God have mercy on your soul. What are the practical implications of Mr. Francisco's words, beloved? If you tell people what God says is right and wrong, what God says is true and false, what God says is good and evil, then you're being, then you're being unloving by trying to control them. If you warn them of sin and its consequences and take seriously a command like the one found in our passage this morning, you're so wrong, you're so unloving, you're so filled with hate that he concludes with the words, May God have mercy on your soul. I hope the irony is not lost on you, beloved. I mean, he's literally warning us that we're in danger of God's judgment if we would dare use the Bible to warn others that they're in danger of God's judgment. And where does Mr. Francisco's prophetic warning come from? Well, it doesn't come from the Bible because it would be wrong and hateful to try to control others with the Bible. You see, apparently for Mr. Francisco, the Bible is not infallible, but his own opinions are. Sadly, beloved, Mr. Francisco, like so many other so-called evangelicals these days, are doing nothing. He is doing nothing more than copying the words of his father. Who said to Eve in the garden, you will not surely die, as God has said. Rather, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mr. Francisco's words, like the words of the serpent, are lies. And yet they come with both confidence and conviction, do they not? Why? Because he believes that his eyes are open. That he is like God and that he can judge for himself what is good and what is evil. God tells us plainly in our passage and throughout Scripture that love warns. That love reproves, that love rebukes, that love corrects. And what is the content of love's warning, beloved? Notice the words of the text. God says, when I bring the sword upon the land. When I bring the sword upon the land. The watchman's duty is to warn those of the coming, uh, of the danger of God's coming wrath. A fact which is made even more evident in verse 7. So you son of man, I have made a watchman over the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. The wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. 
The watchman's duty is to warn of God's coming judgment. To warn of God's intended wrath. And the authority behind the warning is not that of the watchman. But that of the God who sent him. We do not make powerless threats based upon our own opinions like Don Francisco. We stand on the word of God as his heralds, as his messengers. This is the very reason why Satan seeks to attack the word of God. Because if he can convince those who hear our warning that these warnings are simply the opinions of the watchman and not really the word of God, then maybe, just maybe, he can get them to silence the alarm. Love in American thought, beloved, has become demanding that the noisy alarm be shut off. It is now called hate to call sin, sin. It is now called hate to warn those in harm's way of God's soon coming judgment. But it is in this very passage that we find God's motive behind sending his watchmen to sound the alarm. This is what we read in verse 11. He says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. Make no mistake, beloved, this passage is not teaching in contradiction to the rest of Scripture. The idea that God is helplessly hoping that men will save themselves by turning from evil. It is rather a declaration of God's compassion and his justice. On the one hand, it is compassion because all men deserve God's wrath. Yet God sends his divine warning to all men. On the other hand, it is justice because no one will be able to say to God on the day of judgment, I never knew your warning. Not only has God enlisted all of creation to testify of his coming judgment, which is what Paul tells us in Romans 1 very clearly, but God has also graciously commissioned his church and left her in the world to go to all the world as watchmen, calling us the pillar and ground of the truth, calling us to be salt and light, testifying not only of the coming wrath of God, but also graciously calling all men to repentance, offering all who have ears to hear the way of escape. I'm grieved today that just three years after the Supreme Court's wicked wicked ruling, as I look around at the church in our nation, I'm grieved because she's hiding. Beloved, why why was Daniel cast into the lion's den? We read it this morning. Why was he cast into the lion's den? It was because even though he was commanded not to pray, He publicly defied those who made God's, who, who made it against the law to obey God. The text tells us that when Daniel knew, it was no mistake that he went up to his room to pray. It says, when Daniel knew that Darius had signed the decree, making it illegal for him to pray, he went and prayed. And he didn't close his window. He didn't hide his light under a basket. He prayed for all to see. Why was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace? It was because they publicly defied those who made obedience to God against the law. In our day, it's not even against the law yet to call sin, sin. And yet the church won't do it for fear of persecution, for fear of being hated and rejected by men. 
Oh, beloved, the King Himself has commissioned us. The King Himself has commissioned us to be watchmen. He's commanded us to love them and to love them with a love that is willing to endure their hatred that they might hear the truth. To love them with a love that is willing to sacrifice self for another's highest good. To love them with a love like Jesus had. Think about it. Jesus came for the very purpose of being despised and rejected of men. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus came knowing that he would be hated, knowing that he would be beaten, knowing that he would be killed, but he came anyway. That he might redeem his people from their sins. Here's my piffy quote for the sermon. If Jesus were here today, the culture wouldn't have time to kill him. The church would beat him to it. Because he came with a message of warning. Because he came calling men to repentance. Do you know that it wasn't some fire-breathing fundamentalist Baptist who said repent or perish? Those are the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. He also said that he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. There's no salvation. Do you understand that? There is no salvation for those who believe that their rebellion to God is blessed by God. And while the world has stopped up its ears and said, it is bigotry and it is hatred to call homosexuality sin, the Bible tells us that if we see the wrath of God coming upon the wicked and we say nothing, their blood shall be upon our hands. So yes, we endure their hate, which they are deluded enough to call love. Why? Because they, excuse me, because we, just like they, deserve the wrath of God. We are no better. We deserve the wrath of God, and we, like they, have only one means of escape. And as long as they have breath in their lungs, there remains hope that they might be numbered among God's elect. We've not been left here, beloved, to hide our light under a basket. To hide our light under a bed. Love warns. It is hatred. It is selfishness which conceals love, which conceals truth. And the next thing that I would like us to focus on are the words found in verses four and five. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. In the parable of the soils, Jesus tells us that some soil will be hard soil. The gospel seed that we scatter will not penetrate the hard ground and the birds of the air will take away the seed. The gospel that we, we, we preach is not merely a call to faith in Christ, but it is also a warning of judgment. It is also a call to repentance. And I would suggest to you, beloved, that one of the greatest ways we can show those around us that we love them is by, willing to, by, by our willingness to endure their hatred on account of the truth. Just as Jesus was willing to be hated on account of the truth. His loving approach to evangelism was not an attempt to woo the gospel hardened with promises of a better life. He was no Joe Osteen. Lying to men, telling them of, of, of all the, the, the great benefits that God wants them to have or promising them their best life now. If this is your best life now, then you've got hell to look forward to in eternity. 
Our treasure, Jesus says, is not to be stored on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but in heaven. For those who were gospel hardened, the loving message of Jesus was judgment is coming. Repent or perish and don't take too long because the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and a large portion of that crowd is going to hell. Cast not your pearls to swine. There's a command which American evangelicals generally disregard. We pretend that the gospel hardened or merely hardened because we've not come up with a clever enough sales pitch to woo them into our church. The truth is our message, the true gospel faithfully heralded is only for those who have ears to hear. And if you want to know who the swine are, simply share the gospel faithfully. Don't remove the sting of the offense of the gospel. Simply share it faithfully and wait. The ones who trample it under their feet and then turn and seek to trample you and devour you, those are the swine. These we warn of coming judgment and then we kick the dust off of our feet and we move on. I'm not saying that today's swine will not be tomorrow's saint. God is in the business of converting swine and for that I'm personally very grateful. Dear ones, when we offer the gospel hardened promises of peace with God and a better life while they are rejecting God's terms of peace, we show the Holy Spirit disrespect and contempt. For it is the Holy Spirit who grants life to the spiritually dead. He is the one who makes the gospel the sweet aroma of life to those who are being saved. And he is the one, no matter how hard you don't want to hear it, no matter how bad you don't want to hear it, he is the one who makes it the stench of death to those whom he is hardening. And the reason the Bible uses this type of word picture is so that we will see the lesson in our very minds. Those being softened by the Holy Spirit, they're going to look, when they hear the gospel, they're going to look like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. You know, old Tom and Jerry cartoons? What are you talking about, Pastor? Do you remember? Tom would be busy chasing Jerry, and someone takes a pie and puts it in an oven. And then you see animated smoke wafting out. Some of you are seeing it in your mind right now. And it literally picks... Old Tom up by his nose, lifts him off the ground, and carries him back to the source. If the Holy Spirit is granting the gospel to be the aroma of life to someone, they're not going to be arrogant and hostile against it. And when we persist in promising peace and hope and and the love of God to those who are visibly hardened to the gospel, we're not loving them, we're loving ourselves. We're acting like we care more that they like us than we're concerned that they hear the warning of God. It is not unloving to warn of God's coming wrath. It is not unloving to call rebels to repentance. As our passage plainly states, or as plainly teaches, love warns. Love warns. Return again to the text, verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I've spent most of the message this morning with my finger pointed away from us. Focusing on those who are unfaithful with the gospel. Those who are hardened to the gospel. But now the text demands that we aim the finger of God's word at ourselves. If you're a Christian, then you're one who has been granted to see and to flee the coming wrath. And yet God has left you in this sin-cursed world. Why? Why has he left you here? Is it so that you can be a good citizen? 
So it's that you can quietly live your Christian life in front of others, making them wonder, why is he so happy all the time? Is it so you can come to church and hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed and boast how your church is better than others because you get to hear the truth? I get the feeling as I observe the church in America that many, even in faithful congregations, like I assume ours is, like I believe ours is, that they don't get the fact that we've been called to be watchmen. That we've been called to warn those around us of God's fierce hatred of sin and His coming wrath. That we've been called to be salt and light. That we've been called to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now you might be tempted to say, well, well, wait a minute here. You're a pastor. And old Ezekiel, he was a prophet of God. Of course, it's your ministry. You are supposed to warn. And you're supposed to rebuke. And you're supposed to correct. But, but I'm just a soccer mom. Or I'm just a, a, a retired grandmother. Or I'm, I'm just a kid. That's right, boys. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. If you partake of the wine and the bread and testify that you've seen your sin. That you know that God's wrath is coming upon all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And that your hope of escape from the coming wrath is not your own righteousness. But rather the righteousness of Jesus credited to you. Then I'm talking to you. Whoever you may be, I'm talking to you. Notice what the Lord says to Ezekiel. But if the watchman sees, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And again in verse 8, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Has God not revealed to us? Has He not shown us, beloved, that His righteous wrath is coming upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? Have you not seen? Do you not know? Has the Scripture not testified to you that the wrath of God is coming? Has He not commanded us to bring the message of repentance and peace with God through the cross of Christ to all people? Beloved, it is precisely because we've been granted to know that God's wrath is coming that the warning of this text is for us. Because we're the ones who have seen the sword. And we're the ones who have been commissioned with a message of warning for all people. Because all people are born into this world, born under the wrath of God. And we've been granted to know that the punish, what the punishment for our sin deserves. A punishment so great. A punishment so great that just to pay our debt, the Son of God Himself had to endure in His own body the full measure of the Father's wrath for our sins. As He cried out upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Love, dear ones, demands that we warn the world around us of the great and terrible wrath which awaits the sons of disobedience. In a sermon on Romans 1, 18, John MacArthur explains it like this. He says, how can people understand anything about love if they don't understand God's hate? How can they understand anything about his grace if they don't know about his law? How can they understand forgiveness if they don't understand the penalty of sin? Men cannot understand. They cannot seek grace and salvation unless they are affected by the dread of the wrath of God that is resting upon them. Please hear me, beloved. I'm not suggesting that God would manipulate you through guilt to warn those around you of His coming wrath. 
I'm not telling you that God has given us His command. Uh, I, I, excuse me, I'm telling you that God has given us His command and that if we have no desire to obey that command, then the warning of the passage is for us. God is not saying that those who refuse to warn are, 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 are real Christians, but, but they're going to get to feel really guilty in heaven because they didn't share the gospel. That is utter unbiblical nonsense. Nature itself testifies that if you will not warn people of soon, of sure coming harm, then it can only mean one of two things. Either you don't truly believe that harm is coming, or you do not love those in harm's way enough to care that they are perishing. I mean, seriously, who would be so cold? Who would be so unloving as to see a burning building full of people seemingly unaware of the danger that they face and not at least holler out, flee or you're going to perish? Love doesn't win when the voice of warning is silenced. Love doesn't win when, when peace with God is preached apart from repentance. Love does not win when we love our comfort in this passing world so much that we cover up the truth to avoid conflict. Biblical love, beloved, is not selfish. Biblical love is selfless. It's not superficial, it's sacrificial. It considers others as more important than self. As Jesus said, love, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Despite what Christian radio would have you to believe, the second greatest commandment is not we must learn to love ourselves before we can love others. No, beloved, we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If we will not warn others, their blood will be on our hands. It's not a threat to manipulate us to do what we really don't want to do. It's just a fact. If you have no urgency to warn others, it's either because you don't love them or you don't believe that they're in any real danger. And both sadly testify of a heart that's not been regenerated. A heart that's not been born again. And I'm not saying that we're perfect in our evangelism, and nor am I saying that we should condemn ourselves for past or even future failures. I'm saying that if we claim to have fellowship with, with God and yet we remain in darkness, we, we, we claim to love God and yet we have no desire, no urgency, no passion to obey Him, we lie and we do not practice the truth. The Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. Beloved, we love Him because He first loved us and we love our neighbors because He first loved us. The one who's been born again is one who is grateful for the warning that brought him to repentance. He knows that God's justice will be poured out upon the sons of disobedience and he labors to warn others because he loves others and he knows that love warns. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, We come before you again in our weakness and we pray, I pray, Father, that you would use our, our feeble four-line sign, our feeble attempts to, to, to warn those around us of your soon-coming wrath, that you would use those, Lord, to draw some to repentance. 
As I prayed at the beginning of the service, I pray, Lord, that you would grant revival to, 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 to this community, that you would grant revival to this nation, that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, that you would grant men and women to hear the gospel and to flee the wrath to come, that you would grant them to come to Christ to be saved. Lord, I pray for your church. I pray that you would grant her to be faithful. For I know that the true church, hidden within the, the harlot that calls itself the church in our, in our day, that the true church is faithful. But I pray, Lord, you would give her a louder voice. That she would stand up refusing to take the sting of offense out of the gospel. Loving others more than herself. Being willing to, to suffer and even die if need be. That, 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 that others might hear the truth and that you might be glorified. Oh Father, we do love you. And we confess that we love you only because you first loved us. And Father, we do love them. And we confess that we're only capable of loving them because you first loved us. Please, Lord, grant us boldness, especially in the dark time as we live in now, to stand unwavering upon the authority of your word. In your name, amen. Here we wait for judgment day Eyes were told to watch and pray Help me Lord to firmly stand Waiting for that son of man No my trouble or dismay Waiting for that judgment day
watch and pray. Son of man.